If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. That's after Proverbs, before Song of Solomon. Um, we're going to continue and finish our study through Ecclesiastes. So this will be our final week in it. Um, just a few words that came to mind and I was thinking about the journey over the last eight weeks was, uh, one, challenging. It's, it's been at times very challenging to, uh, to my soul, to my fellowship of Jesus. It's, it's helped me, it's molded me, it's shaped me, it's broke me in some ways and repaired me in others. It's been, it's been challenging. Another one I thought was insightful. Uh, just insightful to life, like the rat race we kind of run unknowingly, the, the things we participate in, not really knowing. We're just going with the flow of everything. It's not even the way God intended for us to live. So it was insightful in that way. I thought it's been very practical. Uh, when, I, when I thought about it, I thought, man, it's been so practical. Like uh, to just your, your lot in life is to eat and to drink and to enjoy your toil. Like Like there's so much about it that is hugely practical for us and then liberating was just kind of the final word I wrote uh, it has freed me up uh, not only a few years ago but even as I'm working back through it now with you guys uh, it's just freed me up in my mind to think about the Lord in ways I've not thought about him uh, to put aside things to realize that I had thoughts about the Lord which weren't from the Lord they were from me uh, and so it's liberated me in a lot of those ways it's been good uh, so to kind of catch you up if you are visiting with us uh, this will be a very short uh, overview. Uh, but Solomon was the wisest man ever. He'd been granted a gift by God. And so other than Christ, he's, he's the wisest man. Now he used that to, uh, that wisdom to seek fulfillment in all sorts of ways. Uh, one was money, two, pleasure, work, uh, with time, with um, uh, relationships, specifically with women. He, he used all sorts of things, uh, not to, to find pleasure, to seek ultimate fulfillment, uh, but it left him unfulfilled. And more than unfulfilled, it left him very frustrated. Uh, and so nothing satisfies. And so he concludes that if life is all there is, if this life is it, this is, this is all we get, then really everything that we're doing today or tomorrow or that we've done in the past is meaningless. And he says vanity of vanities, which just means it says meaningless as it could be. It couldn't get any more meaningless. So he writes the book. The Holy Spirit inspires him to write the book to expose the meaninglessness of life apart from faith in God, apart from walking according to God's design. So the frustration, the brokenness that we feel today in life is meant to drive us to God. He's the one who ultimately satisfies. This is kind of where we've landed. So today we're going to end the series uh, Solomon, the way he ends the book, by talking about aging and death and, and how they're meaningless without Jesus. So this will be super encouraging today, okay? Aging and death uh, are two very encouraging topics, right? Um, if we were to restate this and maybe into a question, I think the question would be this, how can we live life maybe to the full and finish well? well what does it take to live life to the fullest and finish well? Well, let's pray. Father, we, we are grateful to be in your presence. We're grateful to have your word before us. We ask that you speak to us now as we prepare to open it, make it come alive. Uh, Father, would you turn it into uh, Hebrews 4.12 for us, that it be living and sharper than any double-edged sword, able to pierce down to our innermost being, making us wise, Father, helping us to live for you, and all that we say and do. I wonder if there's anything in us, would you work it out of us now? Anything in us that's against you, against your will, against your way, would you work it out of us now so that we can be better versions uh, of ourselves and look more like Christ? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, well, one of the statements I want us to start with, I guess, is this, is you, you cannot avoid aging and death, right? But that doesn't stop us from trying to avoid aging and death. Those are things that we're actively trying to avoid, especially in our culture. We not only don't want to talk about death so much, right? We don't want to uh, own up to the fact that death is a very real thing or that aging is a real thing. Like just this week, uh, actually it was just yesterday, I had this gray hair 
about this long, just growing off this little piece on my ear. I don't even know what that's called or why hair would grow there, but it was. And I'm like, this aging is no fun. Like, this stinks, right? I, I didn't used to have to deal with that, and now I do. So here we go. Um, but it's things like that, you know. So we'll spend all sorts of money. We'll spend all sorts of time or efforts trying to avoid at least physically aging, right? We'll buy makeup or creams or, you know, there's an oil for that. There's surgeries, there's exercise, there's dieting. And it's not that any of those things are wrong. It's just that maybe the pursuit, the motivation behind the pursuit is wrong. And what I mean by that is, is that we're, we're trying to hold on to what we believe is a younger, better version of ourselves. Like we don't value aging. It's not that we don't respect our elders. I think we certainly are good at respecting elders. But as individuals, we don't value aging. We don't look at it, as the Bible says, a crown of glory, a crown of life to have a head full of gray hair. Like this is a good thing. And we don't think that way so much about it. It's hard to, to, to come to grips with the fact that I'm getting older. And I'm certainly not old yet. But it's hard for any of us to come to grips with the fact that we're old. And I think there's some harmful effects uh, which may be innumerable to doing this. But the one that Solomon addresses is this fact that we spend our lives from one day to the next wishing that we could turn back time or that we could even stop time, right? Like, like that we're constantly asking those questions. And we talked about that as we talked about time being meaningless without Jesus. But, but just in the way of aging, we wish that we could turn it back, right? That there's some younger, better version of myself. And, and so that robs us. This is what Solomon's point is going to be today, is this robs you of the life you have now. That this takes from you the life you're living now, the age you're at now, the days you're experiencing now, the things around you that you have in front of you now. It's robbing that from you because you're so concerned with the past or with the future. You're, you're not living each day as it comes. It, it reminds me, if you've seen the movie Friday Night Lights, it reminds me of Tim McGraw's character in there. I couldn't remember his name. I didn't care to look it up. But he had... Uh, a state championship from his high school days, right? I mean, it was a really big deal. That, that state championship, though, defined his life. If you remember in the movie, uh, because he wanted to go back to the best of days in his mind, like that, that's who he wanted to be. He wanted to go back to that, relive that. What happened was he becomes a drunk. He's so miserable with himself that he just drinks himself into this abusive state. He's uh, apparently divorced in the movie. He is abusing, but not only abusing his son, he's trying to also live vicariously through him. Like he abuses him because he thinks he can be better. He wants him so bad to have a state championship, right? And so he just kind of tries to live vicariously through his son. And, and what happens is we see that he can't be satisfied until the end of the movie where, you know, it's Hollywood and everything turns out good. So, uh, but why is this, why is this harmful? Why is it harmful to want to be a, a, a younger, better version or go back to this younger, better version, this romanticized version of ourselves? Well, I think it's harmful for at least two reasons. One, it's downright foolish. Like, like time moves. You're not stopping time. There's nothing you can do to prevent time from moving, right? As we sit here, every millisecond that ticks away, we're getting older. Amen? We're, we're not stopping this. The second reason that is, is that you're missing out on the beauty of each of life's stages. And I think these are the two things that Solomon wants to point out, is, is you're so busy staring at or longing for something different that you're missing out of the beauty that's right in front of you, the life that you have right now. And maybe it's not perfect. Welcome to life. None of our lives are perfect. But, but we'll miss out on so much just wishing for perfection, wishing for something to have been better. So instead of asking, how can I, I slow down aging and death, there's a better question to be asked. The question is, how can I live this life that I have right now? How can I live it to the fullest and finish my race well? How can I live this life to the fullest and finish my race well? Well, I think it's true that you can enjoy life in the face of aging and death. Those things are coming. Those things loom. We don't know when they come. We don't know how they come, but it's coming. But you can enjoy life even now knowing that aging and death are before me by turning to Christ, by living the way that God intended. And so if you're taking notes, which I hope that you are, you've got a worship guide, we've made it super easy for you. Um, the first thing I want you to write down is to enjoy life as God intended. 
Now, none of us have a problem with the statement, enjoy life. All of us want to enjoy life. In fact, we're often seeking the best ways to enjoy life. But lots of us have a problem with enjoying life as God intended. Knowing that there's a, a design, there's a way that God has created the world to work, there's a way that God has created everything within the world to work, including everything about your life, the way you deal with time, the way you deal with relationships or your marriage or with your children or in your work. God has created an order to these things. And there are ways that we can live well and finish well by doing life the way God intends, the way He designed, not going against the design. And so... Uh, Let me just read some of this to you, starting in verse 7 of chapter 11. Let's read 7 and 8. He says, Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. So here, light and dark contrast, right? Much like they do in life. But rather than symbolizing good and evil, as maybe we're used to in the Bible, light is good, evil is darkness. Uh, These are actually images for life and death here. This will be revealed as we keep reading here in a moment. Uh, So essentially what he's saying is that life is sweet, that, that life is pleasant, or that it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Being alive is a joyous occasion, is what Solomon is saying. Now, this is a far different cry than what we've seen through most of what Solomon has said, right? Most of what he said is, is that it's, it's meaningless, or it's a chasing after the wind under the sun, that all things under the sun, this life that we live, uh, not considering eternity, but this life that we live now is meaningless, it's fruitless, it doesn't mean anything. Like, but here he's saying that life is sweet, it's joyous, it's a pleasure to live and to see the sun. This balances out that drudgery of the under the sun comments that he's been making for so long. Sure, everything under the sun is meaningless if, it's, if it rises and falls on itself. If there's no eternity, if there's no God, if there's, there's, there's nothing afterwards, then everything under the sun is certainly meaningless. Because those things become our pursuit of satisfaction, and when they become the pursuit, they'll disappoint us. We'll come over and over and over again to the end of our rope, or our rope will just kind of unravel on us. We'll follow one strand to one direction, and then it unravels. And so we'll trace it back, and we'll follow another one, and then it'll unravel. And what happens is we realize that all of these things that we're seeking enjoyment in or seeking pleasure in are leaving us um, frustrated. They're, They're leaving us unfulfilled, unsatisfied. And so... Here, though, Solomon says, just remember that life is a gift from God. To see the sun is pleasure. What he's saying is enjoy your life because it won't last forever. So as he gets ready to dive into this uh, text on aging and death, he's saying remember to enjoy your life. That this is a gift from God. Like the springtime sunshine is, is a break from winter. We know that winter comes again, that winter will ultimately circle back around after summer and fall, right? And we'll endure the dreary days of winter all over again. That's why in verse 8, he tells us to remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity or all that comes is fleeting is a good interchangeable word there. So to remember and to contemplate death is a way to enjoy life and live wisely. I didn't say that wrong. To remember that life is short To remember that death is coming is actually a really good way to live life to the fullest. It's actually a really good way to live wisely in the world today. Have you ever noticed in old paintings or maybe movies that that inevitably whenever somebody's sitting at a desk with a little candle there, there's like a skull off to the right or something in the picture. You always see a skull in these pictures. Somebody's working on something, there's always a skull. You know why there were skulls being used as as decor? Maybe you have some in your house. I don't know. I don't have any in my house. Well, this was called memento mori. And it's a way of reminding oneself that death is coming. And the reason they would remind themselves that death is coming and keep that reminder in front of them is that they wanted to make wise decisions today. 
Like as you live with the end in view, you can make wiser decisions. You think a little bit more about what you're doing, what you're writing or reading or watching or the way you talk to your kids or the way you interact with your spouse or the decisions you make from day to day. When you start thinking about the end is coming, there's judgment that looms. I want to think a little harder about the way that I live. I want to live in such a way that I would bring glory and honor to the name of the Lord that I would not create destruction for my life or the lives of others. And so they would do this. So I don't know if Solomon had a skull on his desk as he's writing this, but, but he is instructing us to live with death in mind. And what he's saying is, you're not invincible. Life is fast, it's coming quick, and there will be an end to it. In verse 9, he says, he goes on to say this. He says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So again, he's saying rejoice in your youth. Let your heart cheer you. But he's saying don't rush your life by wishing it away. Don't rush it by wishing for a better season. Don't miss out on the beauty of of, of a toddler by wishing toddler ways away. Like this is something that Patricia and I are actively doing in our house as we have two toddlers in the home. We're about to welcome an infant and we have a six-year-old who's, they're all super independent, right? And one of the things we want to catch ourselves with every day is let's not wish this moment away just because of bad behavior. Let's not wish this moment away just because this isn't going exactly like we thought it would. We're not perfect parents and our kids are not perfect. <sighs> right? Let's, let's not wish it away. Let's take deep breaths. Let's, let's be grateful for these moments that we have with our kids. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Not with them. Not, not even in our own breath. Let's be grateful for what we have now. And so we try as best as we can to encourage one another with that. But it's hard. (laughs) I think the psalmist in chapter 90 kind of found the, he had the key. You know, we talked about this again when we talked about time. I think I brought this up. Um, But he says there, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. There's this very real sense of we number our years. Right? We celebrate birthdays, we celebrate anniversaries, we celebrate milestones in life. Like your kid goes to school, or your kid graduates high school, or your kid goes to college. We, we celebrate these things, and what happens is our lives just kind of move by one milestone from the next. And, and so the psalmist says, teach me to number my days, not my years. I think there's a specific reason he's saying this. Teach me to number my days that I may get a heart of wisdom that I'll begin to see day to day what the Lord is doing, day to day how the Lord is shaping me, how the Lord is shaping people in my life, day to day how this day was valuable just as the next day is or the day before it was. And even in my monotony, even in uh, the the drudgery of life at times, we, we should be praying that the Lord would teach us the number of days to watch each day. And then to remember that for all these things, all that we say and do in life, God will bring you into judgment, according here to verse 9. So the only way to live life to the full and to finish well is to live according to the design for all areas of life, God's design for all areas of life, be it marriage, be it sex, be it money, time, work, relationships, pleasures, what have you. Whatever it is in life, I guarantee you, The Word has something to say about that. The Word has given us wisdom and instruction on how to use that gift, how to use that thing properly. Amen? Okay, a couple of people enjoy reading the Word when it comes to life. All right. So we know that God has a design for all things, and that because He has a design for all things, we're going to be judged according to, to his design and the way that we used that thing, whatever it was, be it a person, a relationship, or, or stuff, or whatever, the way that we interacted with that, we're going to be judged accordingly in the last day. And this leads us to verse 10. In verse 10, he says, Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life, which means the prime of life, are vanity. 
So how then do we live and finish well? Well, number one, you remove sorrow from your hearts. Now, to remove literally means don't dwell excessively on. So when he's saying here, is, and when he says remove, he's saying don't dwell excessively on sorrow, the sorrow of aging, the sorrow of life, whatever those things may be, so that you miss the days that God has given you. Don't dwell excessively on those things. Right? If you've caused sorrow, sorrow's been caused towards you uh, because of sin, because of the brokenness in the world, uh, Solomon is saying here, don't dwell excessively on those things. The second way that we would live or, and or finish well is to put away pain from your body. Now, to put away pain here literally means to put away sin from your body. He, he's saying that sin causes the most vexation, the most sorrow in life. He's saying to put those things away, to repent and to turn to Jesus each day. Why each day? Why, why do we practice as Christians? Why do we teach at New Life Community Church that repentance is a daily thing? Because repentance must be daily. I'll never repent for all of my sins, right? I'll, I'll never say them all out loud all the time. It's just not going to happen. Most of the time, I'm unaware of my sins. Right? Most of the time I just do things that are harmful and don't, don't often realize it in the moment. And so we teach that we should have this heart of repentance towards the Lord all the time. That, 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 that we're not out rededicating lives all the time. We're not out getting rebaptized all the time. In fact, there's, there's one baptism, one salvation, one Lord. Amen? And to all of that, we're brought into the unity of the Lord. And so there's no need to continue doing those things all of the time. What it is, is that now as Christians who are already Christ-like, but not yet Christ-like in the very real sense that we're still human, we're to live with repentance before us. When we lay our heads down at night, I, I think about my day. Father, forgive me in the moment of things. Father, forgive me. Help me to walk with you. It's one reason reading the Word is so good for us. It is, as I mentioned in my prayer, Hebrews 4.12, it is sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces down to the very bones and joints and marrow of who we are. And it creates in us Christ-likeness. Removes like a surgeon the awful things in our life, the bad in us, and recreates us into better, better images of God. So repentance is a daily thing. We should remove sorrow from our heart, yes, but we should also put away pain from our body. We should repent and turn to Jesus each day. When I wake up tomorrow, Lord willing, I am in need of new mercy. I am in need of new grace. I am in need of new strength to make it through that day. Praise God. He says, I have supplied you with new mercies for each day, new grace for each day, new strength for each day. It's there for me. Amen? It's there for you. This is what the Lord is doing for us. And so each day we need the Lord. And the first key to enjoying life, to, to, to living and finishing well, is to live with the end in view. To end with judgment in mind. Listen, Solomon doesn't mention judgment as a way to be like a wet blanket on your life. Right? He's not mentioning judgment to be, to be a drag here. Like, like when he mentions judgment, if you'll think about the context of this whole book, he's been longing for things to be set right for a very long time through this. Right? He's, he's been wanting for the, righteous, uh, for the suffering of the righteous to end and for the prosperity of the wicked to cease. Like He's been longing for that. He's ready for judgment. So he mentions judgment as a way to encourage you not only to live well and to do right, but to know that in living well and doing right for the Lord, that one day all of that is worth something. One day the Lord sets all things right. He, he recreates all things. Amen? There will be a new heaven and a new earth. There will be no more tear. There will be us with the Lord as God intends finally forever. That's the joy of what we have. That's the joy of judgment. We ought not look as Christians upon judgment as a sad thing. We ought to look upon it as a very exciting thing. That finally, the Lord sets all things right. So he's not mentioning it to be a drag. He's not trying to pour water on your life. He mentions it as something to long for. 
to long for justice, just as Solomon has. Because judgment makes our actions meaningful. If we live according to God's design and His desires and and not our own, then our actions become meaningful for eternity. This is what Jesus says. He says not to store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust and decay will get them. He says to store up your treasures in heaven. Well, what does he mean there? He's not talking about money. He's not, there's not a bank somewhere in the U.S. that you can go to and like that money gets transferred up to heaven. God doesn't need your money. He, he's talking about the things that you do, the life that you live, store up treasures in heaven. Love God, love people. There's more on that next week with Jasper. That's essentially what he's after. Love the Lord with all your heart. Love people. These are the ways we store up treasures in heaven. I wanted to include a quote from a great 80s movie, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Anybody in here not seen that? Raise your hand. Just a few of you. Not, you don't want to? All right. Man, it's pretty good. He says, uh, in it, he says, life moves pretty fast. And if you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Now, the, the, the wisdom in that is that, yes, life moves fast. Yes, if you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. But where God's wisdom would intersect with that is that there's a greater way to live life. That there's one who you can put your hope in. There is a design for life. There's wisdom behind everything in this world. And if we'll live according to it, not only will we not miss this life, but we'll get to enjoy eternal life forever. Anyway, I thought that was cool. Second thing, if you got your notes, turn to God now before aging robs you. I don't know how you view roller coasters. Sometimes the most depressing part, the most anxious part of a roller coaster is the clicking going up, right? You know you're about to fall. So, so here we are. If, if that's you, we're going up now, all right? If that's not you, like it's the downfall that's you, we're, we're, we're going down, all right? It's about to get a little depressing, all right? So just hang with me. We're not going to end on a depressing note, but I, I feel like you need this warning that depression, it, it looms right here. It's going to get ugly. All right, so verse 1. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. He's saying, remember the Lord now. Remember the Lord now, wherever you're at in life, because evil is coming. The evil he's talking about is just the curse of this world, aging and death. Those things loom. And here's... Here's how we know. We're about to dive into it. But let me talk about what he means when he says remember. When he says remember, he literally means to trust your Creator, to obey your Creator, to walk with your Creator. Now, Creator, the reason he uses the word Creator is because Solomon, this whole book, has been referencing back to creation, God's intended design, God's original order. And so he's referencing back to the garden when God had created everything. He looks upon the world and he says, it is good. He's saying to remember your creator but what happened was is that man rebels against god we we fracture all of creation not only our lives but the created order of everything in the world now everything is broken by sin romans 8 confirms this we've mentioned it several times throughout the series but romans 8 says that even creation groans as with the pains of childbirth waiting on the redemption of the lord waiting on the lord to return and to redeem all of creation so everything's broken by sin. So how do we remember our Creator as sinners? Like if we're broken, we can't do this well. So how do we do it? Well, the only way is to trust, to, to walk with or to trust and to obey God is through repentance and faith. You must repent of your sin. Namely, you repent of idolatry. Idolatry just says there's something out there better than God. Maybe you think you're better than God. Maybe you think your view is better than God. Maybe you think that relationship is better than God. Maybe you think that thing is better than God. And so you pursue that thing. So the first thing we're repenting of is idolatry. We have said that something in creation is a better God than the one who created it, than the Creator Himself. And so we repent of creation worship, idolatry. And then we believe in, which means more than just simply this mere mental assent of believing. Again, James says that even the demons believe in the name of Jesus 
and shudder at it. Like they're frightful at the name of Jesus. So it's more than just believing in Jesus. It's a believing in that causes you to treasure Jesus, to treasure Him supremely above all things, to worship Him as Creator God and not to look to creation. And so we treasure Jesus Christ. That's how we remember our Creator well. Now Solomon's going to use some poetry here to bring the full weight of aging and death upon us. Look at verse 2. He says, Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. We'll just stop there. These lights, the sun and the moon, the stars, these lights are symbolic for either your eyes, but I, I would argue that it's symbolic for mental failure. That the sun and the moon and the stars in our head is going out. It's going dim as we grow older and older. Right? We're going to all fight things like dementia as we grow older and older. In verse 3, he talks about keepers. He says, In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dim. So let's just talk about what is a keeper. The keepers are your hands. In the days where the keepers are weakened, they tremble. He says the strong men of the house are bent, meaning your muscles fail. You begin to be bent over. Right? Like this is what happens as we age. He talks about the grinders, how they cease because they are few. You know what your grinders are? They're your teeth. He says your teeth are missing and chewing is hard. And then he goes to the watchers. That's talking about your eyesight, which is why I think the first thing is talking more about your mental health. But eyesight dims. Your watchers dim. Now, he's not done yet. He, he describes aging and death really vividly. In verse 4 he says, And the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up, at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. The doors on the street are shut. What he's talking about is your hearing begins to fail. I can't hear anymore. And the slightest sounds, like the singing of a bird, can startle me because I don't hear well anymore. And then he gets into verse 5. He says, They're afraid also of what is high, and the terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and the desire fails. Because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. He's saying that old age brings fear. He's contrasting it with when you're young, maybe you're bold and courageous. As you get older, you become fearful of things. Maybe not always, but generally. He says the almond tree blossoms, meaning your white hair comes in. He says grasshopper drags. There's a loss of mobility with aging. And then he gets to desire fails, and just very explicitly he means your sexual desire fades. You don't burn with passion the way you used to as a, as a young man or woman. And then he says of their eternal home, he said they're going to their eternal home, and he just has in view death. He's not thinking eternity, because what Solomon is writing from, the point of view he's writing from, is this life, with this life in view. And he says, mourners go about the streets. He's talking about a funeral service. And he says, this is your life. And then he gets into verse 6 and 7, and he's just not much more encouraging here. He says, before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Here, water is a symbol, and all these things used to hold water or to retrieve water are used as a symbol for life. And he's saying when all the containers break, that life has ended and mankind returns to the dust from which he came. As my dad always says, aging ain't for sissies. Aging and death are a part of the curse. Remember God's curse. He says, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. 
Now, he didn't kill them immediately. They deserved it, but they, he didn't cause death immediately. Instead, they entered into a world full of death and decay and destruction. Death came, death comes for all of us. We all surely die. Romans 5 tells us why. It tells us that we inherited that sin. David, when he's praying, says, In sin did my mother conceive me. He's not talking about the sin of his mother in that. He's talking about, I was conceived, and as I was conceived, sin entered. Even at conception, I was full of sin. So the brutality of aging and death reminds us that this life is fleeting. It makes us long for something better. Aging and death really should begin to stir us to action. Instead of sitting by and trying to, uh, and the action I'm referring to is not the trying to avoid it because it's unavoidable. The action I'm referring to is to find something to remember your Creator now while you still have the opportunity to do so. There's still breath in your lungs to repent, to believe, to treasure Jesus above all things. And then finally, what I want to share with you is to trust in Jesus as your Savior. In verse 8, he says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. He's just summing up the book. He's, re- he's starting where he started in verse 2 of chapter 1. So in summary, he's saying God imposed a curse to show us the meaninglessness of creation. Uh, sorry, of creation, pursuit, and worship. It's meaningless to pursue creation as a place of worship or as a thing to be pursued for satisfaction. He shows us that this is meaningless so that we would long for something better, namely Himself. God frustrates our desires, frustrates our plans, so that at the end of our rope, we will turn to the Lord. We'll realize that creation worship leaves me longing, leaves me wanting, never fulfills. Maybe for a season. Sin's pleasurable for a season. The Bible instructs us as much. But not forever. And so it leaves you wanting. It leaves you longing for something better so that you would want the Lord. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, that the point of the Old Testament, including Ecclesiastes, this is in the Old Testament, the point of all the sacred writings, he says, is to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. When Jesus appears to His disciples, and He's on uh, the road to Emmaus, it says there that He opens up the Scriptures for them and shows that all of it was about Him. He shows Himself in all of Scripture. This is why anytime we preach a message, we had better get to Jesus Christ because He's the point. The point is not just to be a better version of myself. The point is not just to, to, to do something better. The point is to look like Jesus. The point is to glorify God in heaven forever. And this is what Jesus shows us. This is what Paul is saying in 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is what Ecclesiastes is after. This is what Solomon is saying. The point of life is Jesus Christ. That He's the reason behind it all. Everything is meaningless without Jesus. That He's the point of it all. So when you experience the pains of life, you experience the struggles of life, you lose someone you love, you go through hardships in your marriage, your children are rebelling against you, whatever it is, when you experience these things, you're suffering from a curse that was placed on a world. So now we're in a broken world, full of sin, and my only option as I lay on my back beat down, from the Lord, beat down from the world is to look up at the Lord, is to trust Him, to follow Him. Now, apart from that frustration, apart from the frustration of the world, the brokenness of this world, I don't think any of us would turn to Jesus. If life went really well for us all the time, none of us are turning to Jesus. We wouldn't be concerned with the Lord. But God uses the frustration, He uses the brokenness of sin to ignite our hearts for something better, to make us long for something different. He makes us wise, graciously, for salvation. That's Solomon's hope. That's his purpose. Verses 9-11, through he says this. He says, Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. 
In other words, what he's saying is, is if you aren't too proud, if you aren't so full of pride to listen to Solomon's words, then they will guide you in the right way like a cattle prod. They'll, they'll move you in the right direction. If you'll pay attention, if you'll humble yourself before these words. You see, the Holy Spirit took great care in writing this book through Solomon. He did it to shepherd us, to shepherd people away from a meaningless life full of pain and vain pursuits towards a meaningful life to the fullest, as Jesus says. John 10.10, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. This is the purpose of the Scriptures. This is the purpose behind all that God is doing. It's Jesus. The words come uh, the, the words come to an end here where He says it all comes from one shepherd. You notice shepherds capitalized. He's, he's talking about the Messiah. He's talking about Jesus. I mean, He's pointing you to Jesus, very explicitly so. And then knowing people's pride, He issues this warning, verse 12, to His own his own son, he says, My son, beware of anything beyond these, beyond these writings, beyond what I put here. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. In other words, what he's saying, he's saying, beware of your pride. You will listen to these words like all children do, and you'll go your own way. You'll think that you've got it figured out. I did this so many times in my life. My parents would come to me, Kyle, here is the wise way. Here's what you need to do. According to Scripture, here's, here's it. Follow this. Do it. And what would I do? I'd go the complete opposite direction. That's foolish. But we're all prone to do this. We're all prone to look at wisdom and say, ah, I don't think so. Like, I mean, yeah, sure, that's how it worked for Solomon, but I, I'm the exception to the rule. I'm amazing. Nobody knows it yet. Right? And these are the kinds of things we begin to think is somehow this is going to go better for me. What does he know? He, he wrote that thousands of years ago, yet it's still applicable for today. Isn't God awesome? So he issues this warning. He's saying, don't perform your own experiment. These words that I have written are all sufficient. There is nothing else to be added, and you'll only regret your life if you repeat the things that I've done. In fact, there's nothing left for you to do but repeat what I have done because I tried everything. That's what he's saying. Of many books, there are many books that can be written, but all these words are sufficient. So, please, please listen to the words of Solomon, to the words of the Holy Spirit, to you and where you're at in life right now. Don't let these words go in one ear and out the other, lest in your foolishness and your hard-heartedness you make a mockery of God's wisdom, of God's design. And beware, because he will not be mocked forever. In verse 13, he says this, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. To fear God means to live life knowing that it's a vapor. It's a mist. It's here and gone in a breath. But God's work, it stands forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken away from it. That those truths, when I begin to realize my life is a vapor, but God is all sovereign, He's eternal, what happens in me is a reverence and a humility towards God. I'm, I'm in awe of Him. And so therefore I fear Him because He has the true power of life and death at His Word. And so it creates this in us, it birds us in us. And then to keep His commandments means to live according to His design. Whether it's in your marriage or in work or in pleasures or in time, the way you deal with time or friendships or sex or parenting or dating and on and on and on. Everything in life, there was a way, there was a structure to it, there was a design by God for it. But rest assured, my friends, that the fear of God must be accompanied by keeping His commandments. I cannot say that I fear God or that I believe in God, yet not walk according to His commandments. Not care about His Word. Not do the things that He said to do. When I do that, I make a liar of myself. It must be accompanied by good works. Just real quickly, James 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? 
So James is arguing that your faith is the proof, or that your works are the proof that your faith is real. He's not saying works save you. He's saying it's proof that you are saved, that you do love the Lord. In verse 17, he says, So also by faith itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith without works is dead. That, that if we say we believe, yet we go our own way, we do our own thing all the time, that faith is dead. It's dormant. It's not doing anything in us. We're not truly alive. It's easy for us to fall into this living in the Bible Belt because we're raised in church. We're raised to know good from evil. Most people are. But, but it's more than that. It's not fellowship. That's not truly following the Lord. That's not treasuring the Lord just because we go to church, just because we attend a home group or celebrate recovery. Those may be good efforts and they are good, they're a part of what we're doing. But fellowship looks like treasuring Jesus above everything else. And that when I get out of whack in that, when I start to treasure something else other than Christ, I repent. It eats away at me. You will not run from the Lord without feeling the prodding of the Spirit. It's just not possible. And if you are, and you feel nothing, this is God's grace for you right now, calling you to Himself. Please listen. Please don't harden your heart. Verse 24, he just... He says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. I think Jasper is going to get more into what our good works are as a result of our faith next week. For now, though, again, if you say you have faith, that you believe, that, but you're not actively treasuring God and His design far above all else, then we must repent, we must treasure Him, we must treasure God's design, lest you lose your soul. This is what Jesus says of sin. He says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life without your right hand than to go into eternal punishments, to lose your soul to hell. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better to enter into eternity without your right eye than to enter into hell. Now, he's not literally saying mutilate yourself. He's saying be extreme. Be vigilant in your pursuit of holiness, and you're killing that old man that's still within us. Be vigilant in the way that we follow God's commands, that we fear Him as the one who has power over our lives, ultimate power. Then in verse 14, we see why this is important. Why is it important to be this way? For God will bring every deed, everybody say every deed, Every deed into judgment with every secret thing. Oh no, not my secret things too. Yeah. Every deed with every secret thing will be brought into judgment, whether good or evil. Guys, we're not running from the Lord. Like you may run from yourself. You may, you may trick your spouse. You, you may trick your whoever. I don't know. Your boss. But, but the Lord sees it all. He, every deed and secret thing, whether good or evil, will be brought into judgment. This is why it matters how we live today. This is why it matters how we run our race. Because everything you do, good or bad, secret or not, will be judged by God. You have this as truth. This is not me making something up. This is me reading God's Word to you. This is Him calling you to Himself saying, listen to me. There is a judgment coming. I am patient now, but I will not be patient forever. Judgment comes. This means that apart from Christ, you're under condemnation because all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We've all sinned against a holy, righteous, perfect God, undeserving on our own of anything other than hell. But Jesus, but Jesus, Galatians chapter 2, Jesus redeems us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. Life is meaningful because Jesus reconciles us to the Creator of life. And He gives us the ability to be wise. He gives us the ability to live according to His design. Now in Christ, what happens is we can be, a sat we can be satisfied in God alone rather than loving His gifts more than we love Him. We can, we can be wrapped up in Creator worship rather than creation worship. That God is my treasure. He's the one I love the most. And in doing so, we can live life to the fullest. Sure, you'll say no to sinful pleasures. Who cares? Jesus 
God promises in Psalm 16 that there are treasures in Him and pleasures at His right hand forevermore, that He has made known to us the path of life. I would rather know the path to life and the pleasures of God than than wonder about in my own sin seeking my own pleasures. Lord, help us. I'm going to ask Alan or whoever to come up. You guys can stay seated this morning. I want you to think about the sermon. Think about what repentance might look like for you, what believing might look like, what treasuring the Lord might look like. Maybe how you've gone astray in those things. I trust that the Holy Spirit's speaking to you and that you can respond to that. Amen. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes just so you're distraction-free, not because it's magic or anything. Just so you can focus on the Lord. Think about these words from Solomon, this wisdom. Think about your life. Are there areas in your life that you think are secret and hidden? Areas you think you're getting away with? The Lord knows. He's the only one that really matters. Why don't you spend a moment just in prayer? If you need to repent of sin, maybe you're an unbeliever. Say, man, I've never trusted Jesus as my Savior before. Now's your opportunity. You'll know that in your spirit. But to lay down your sin, lay down your life, to repent and to follow the Lord, to believe in Him in such a way that, like Alan said, you you leave this place knowing something's got to change and the Lord's going to do it in me. But I can't keep being who I'm being. That's you this morning. Just yield, submit yourself to the Lord. Deny yourself. If you're a believer in here, examine your life. Repent of where repentance needs repent where repentance needs to be done. Commit yourself to the Lord and follow him. You'll take a moment to pray.